In today's podcast, I'm talking with Dr. Fred Moss, known as the Undoctor. He's a transformative, restorative coach who empowers people by undiagnosing, unmedicalizing, and undoctoring their lives. And he helps you to reclaim your true self. Now, I have to give you a trigger warning here because we're speaking about diagnosing, but specifically self diagnosing ADHD, anxiety, and depression. And the reason for the trigger warning is you might not agree with what Dr. Moss says, and that's fine. Just remember it's only a podcast, it's just a chat between two people. If you have any medical questions or you're concerned about your own medical situation, speak to a doctor and take your own doctor's advice. The reason why I thought it was interesting to speak to Dr Moss was that there is a lot of self-diagnosis in these areas. I have been medically diagnosed in the past with anxiety, for which I received medication, but the medication didn't help me overcome it. And I've also been diagnosed twice in the past with depression, Both times I was given medication and I'm much better now. But again, everyone's different. Everyone's depression journey is so individual and I would never claim that my journey was different to yours or I had a method of overcoming it and you can too. We are all different. So please take this trigger warning as a note that we can only go by our own experiences. But it was so insightful to listen to Dr Mossy's experiences over 40 years in psychiatry. He gives you the opportunity to take a free discovery call with him. So if you like his methods and you like what he's saying, then I'll leave some information in the YouTube description box and a link to his website. And other than that, if it's not the kind of thing you're interested in, then don't listen. I don't want you to be triggered. But if you are interested and you want to hear a chat between myself and Dr Moss, then I hope you enjoy this podcast. Dr Moss, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I am so interested to speak about this topic because you have got so much knowledge on it. And I think it's an area that a lot of us either think that we understand think we actually have a diagnosis or are given a diagnosis and don't actually know what to do with it. Um, It's specifically talking to you about self-diagnosing, anxiety, which is a big one, depression. Obviously, that's more medicalized. I don't want to say that any of us self-diagnose depression so much, but also ADHD. So could you tell me a little bit about how you became so interested in those areas and why so many of us are self-diagnosing? Yeah, sure. So thank you for the great question and thank you for having me as a guest. So one of the things that's really important to get is that we, all of us, think that there's something wrong with us. We're really quite sure that there's something wrong with us, that we're not behaving or thinking or acting or being as well as our peers are. And we're pretty sure that there's some sort of deficiency or some sort of um, affliction or, uh, you know, that we're affected in some way. And we're, we think we have a diagnosis. We think, therefore, that our minds aren't working well. And so we go and get confirmation of a diagnosis. We want to hear about our deficiency. We want to hear where we're wrong because that way we can relinquish the responsibility we have in our life. You know, so when we're depressed, um, we probably have a pretty good reason to be depressed. There's probably some things going on in our world or not going on in our world in the way that we would want them to. 
or when we say we have ADHD, we're saying that we're over distracted, right? Like we are not completing tasks on time and maybe we're scattered and maybe we're, we have trouble staying focused, right? <laughs> and so we think we have an attention deficit disorder when in fact, we might just be being human. The challenges and obstacles of what it takes to be a human in these, in these trying times are extraordinary. So maybe all of us have some version of being deficient in the, the attention that we would best want to provide for the services that we're involved in, for the activities that we would like to proceed with. The same thing holds with nearly every psychiatric illness. So, you know, when we start looking at psychiatric illnesses, we start seeing that they're very vague on the edges. They're nebulous. You know, what is a psychiatric illness in one area of the world may not even be a psychiatric illness in another area of the world. That's not true with most medical conditions. You know, if you have a broken arm here in California, you have the same broken arm in the UK and you have the same broken arm in Tibet and you have the same broken arm in Reykjavik and you have the same broken arm in Auckland. If you're depressed here in California and you show up in the UK, you may not even be diagnosed with depression. You may be diagnosed with something else or not diagnosed at all. We really expect to be diagnosed by our psychiatrist. It happens to be one of the only subspecialties that if you go to the doctor, you're hoping to be diagnosed. Yeah. In yeah. fact, you're actually upset or maybe really angry if the doctor says that you're okay and that you don't have a diagnosis. So it might be the only subspecialty that when a doctor says you're okay, you get upset and go to another doctor. You know, if you go to a cardiologist or you go to a surgeon or you go to an ophthalmologist and they tell you you're okay, you're happy about it. Mm -hmm. But in psychiatry, that's not the case. In psychiatry, you're going to get confirmation that there's something wrong with you that isn't you, that you've been afflicted, that you're defective in some way, that you have a condition that is actually responsible for the things in your life that aren't going well. And in some ways, what that is, is I welcome that as well. You know, the truth is, Elaine, if I could blame you or blame someone else for all the mistakes that I'm about to make today, then I would gladly do that. So if I can say, that wasn't me, that was my bipolar disorder. That wasn't me, that was my narcissistic personality disorder. That wasn't me, that was my depression. Then there's some confirmation and capacity to relinquish responsibility. Now, let's make this very clear. You've already said this. There are some people who really feel that their diagnosis is serving them. And in fact, they, you know, they feel that they have an overwhelming like clinical depression. I have my ideas about that because once you declare yourself as being depressed, then you get medications, which in fact often perpetuate the actual symptoms they're marketed to treat. So you may in fact be depressed. And after you've been told that you're depressed and then you begin the treatments or the medications for depression, that may in fact be perpetuating or stabilizing the actual condition that you that you're, think that you're treating by going to the clinician. So as the undoctor, which is I, you know, one of the monikers that I like to carry on, I like to undiagnose people. I like to unmedicate people and then undoctrinate people. If we just take away the medicine, we're not doing the full service because people will still think that there's something wrong with them and they'll want to know, well, what should they do instead to fix what's wrong with them?
but maybe just maybe there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe this experience of really being confused or challenged or disturbed or out of balance is just a factor of being human in this remarkably challenging world that we're all trying to make, you know, some difference in. We're all trying to find our way through in a sane way. And you and I both know that getting through a day these days actually takes a tremendous amount of effort and a tremendous amount of, you know, blessing and even some fortune to get through a, just a normal day. So maybe there's nothing wrong with us and maybe mental illness is really just a conversation whose time for transformation has come. Maybe it's time to start seeing that we're all having the same you know, challenges, obstacles, hurdles, and difficulties to try to get through this very, you know, chaotic at times, and sometimes, you know, very confusing and, and disturbing world that we're all trying to, uh, you know, negotiate. That makes a lot of sense. And I do think being the undoctor is, it's a breath of fresh air, because we seem to live in times now where as quick as you can get an appointment here in the UK, it's quite difficult to get appointments. I don't know if that's the same way everywhere, but it's what you said. A lot of people feel if they get an appointment with a doctor, if they don't come away with a prescription, then it hasn't been a successful appointment. If they don't right. come away with a diagnosis of something, it hasn't been successful. So what you're yeah. saying makes so much sense. And then um, it will be no surprise to you to know that, um, I have had challenges with anxiety. I think you must be in the minority if you haven't. But thankfully, about 10 years ago, I was able to find a, a method that actually made me realize that this isn't something that you have to carry like a backpack and you can rationalize right. it. But you can't really, would you say in today's world, what you are doing is quite revolutionary because a lot of people are almost offended if you say you don't have to define yourself as being an anxious person. You don't have to say I have anxiety. It is part of me. It doesn't have to be that way. Does that is that right. something that you find people almost push back on initially before they take what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, people do push back. They really do want to be able to say I have anxiety. I am an uh, anxiety disorder. I am depressed. I have clinical depression. I am ADHD. I have AD, you know, I have attention deficit, or I have bipolar disorder, or I have autistic spectrum disorder, or I have uh, I just, I, there are so many disorders out there. It's hard to actually, you know, it's hard to actually negotiate. Um, you can, the more psychiatrists you see, the more likely you are to have multiple diagnoses because. Mm -hmm. There's it, the the edges again for what it takes to actually meet the criteria for a diagnosis are blurred, and in fact, most clinicians don't use the actual DSM, you know, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, uh, precisely enough to actually make sure you meet every criteria, and it's nebulous anyways. Even in its inception, it was nebulous in the beginning. So uh, when you start reading this stuff, you start thinking that you're disordered. And the truth is, like I said, it's almost normal to think that you're abnormal. Like it's part of being a normal human being is thinking that there's something wrong with you. 
that they're you're different because we are comparing our insides with other people's outsides and it's not a fair comparison when i look at you it seems to me that you have your world together and if i'm confused today i know right if i'm confused today if i'm feeling scattered today and i see you and it looks like you're all put together perfectly it'll make me even feel worse and especially like with social media everyone posts their pictures on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or TikTok or Snapchat or wherever you go. And you start seeing that, you know, people posted their best pictures in that area and they start looking like they have their world together, which of course has us believe that our world must be really defective and really deficient. And then we are pretty sure there's something wrong with us. And we want to go to the doctor to get confirmed that there's something wrong with us and to get the proper treatment which in fact, unfortunately, often causes the symptoms that it's marketed to treat. So it doesn't only perpetuate the symptoms, it actually at times can cause the actual symptoms that the treatment is marketed to deal with. It's such a fascinating area. And I read that you'd lived in different places all over the world. Do you feel that some places have a better attitude towards these things um don't i'm going to use a word that i know can irritate some people more resilience because it's a word that does make sense to me some some areas some countries some people just seem to have a bit more resilience more resilience you're saying yes yes resilience. well i don't know if it's actually the people who have more resilience i think there are areas in the world where people are less interested in picking off a diagnosis like they're less, you know, we all have resilience. Every one of us has resilience. If you're still breathing on this planet right now, you have resilience, count on it. It took something to get this far in your life. It just did. And to find, you know, to keep yourself organized, to get out of bed today, to actually get dressed, to eat whatever you've eaten, to start a conversation with the people in your world, to have gotten to where you needed to be or not, you know, to have taken a shower or a bath or to have taken care of your pets or your children, whatever you're doing to get through this world today, you are massive resilience. You are massively creative and you have massive resilience. There's no question about that. That's the minimum that it takes to get through the next minute in life. So what happens is in some areas of the world, Mental illness is not seen as an affliction. It's not seen as a um, deficiency. It sometimes can be seen as just an imbalance that needs a conversation to rebalance. Some of the African nations, that's what they do. They don't have very many psychiatrists. So they have situations where you just go talk to somebody and they don't even have to be trained. This isn't someone like a social worker, a family therapist, or a psychologist. This can be what they, there's one country that has what they call the orange um, picnic benches. And uh, you go and speak with a grandmother who's actually sitting on those benches, waiting to listen to you and then converse with you and reassure you that life's going well. And the cure rate for that type of conversation exceeds the cure rate in the Western world. People get better instantly by having a conversation and by being heard for who they really are. We want nothing more in this world than to be heard and seen for who we really are. That's true for all 8 billion of us. 
we want nothing more to make a difference, but to actually be seen, respected, heard, and, and known for who we really are. And when we can get somebody who can assure us that they have heard us and connected with us, that's where healing really begins. Isn't that just... It's, it's not anything radical, really. Makes, you know that stuff. Yeah. You've known that since you were a child. It makes sense. And it also makes me sad because it it makes you realize that we are, social media just seems so superficial. Do you think that's part of the problem that we're living in a time where it means more to get likes than to spend a bit of time with an older relative that's not perceived as being as important when in actual fact it is the most important thing. Oh, it certainly is. It's obviously, it's quite obvious when you put it that way, that, you know, being with an elderly relative or a wise relative, or even somebody who's not, you know, who's not elderly, just a friend or a relative or a, a neighbor or a colleague or a stranger, for goodness sake, and just interacting effectively and connecting with another person is way, 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 way more important than your next like on, a, on any kind of social media or your next share or going viral on YouTube or uh, with a short or real whatever. It's way more important to connect to another person. If you really want to make a difference, that level of connection is even more important than entertaining people with a beautiful video, which is fantastic, by the way. I've seen, you know, sometimes there's great videos out there. I know you have a few that are really have gone viral and are fantastic. That's and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just compared to actually making a human connection, even with one other person, there's no comparison. It's obviously more important to connect with another person. That's so true. And it's funny because, yes, there are a few that just took off. And the funny thing is, I don't know if it's a normal human reaction, as your first thought is, oh, what's happened there is it's not like wow that's amazing you think oh is something is somebody said something has something happened do I not know about something and I always presume oh dear something maybe somebody thinks I'm somebody else yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but I'd love to know where you discovered your gift as you say the undoctor did you realize through working with people or did you realize the more that you saw in the media that your gift was actually to stop unnecessary diagnoses happening or stop people going down a path where they were going to make their life more complicated? Right. So I think this actually started a long time ago. It may have started when I was just a child, but I went into um, the mental health field in uh, after dropping out of college on two separate occasions. And I got an application together so that I could start working with kids. And I worked with uh, adolescent boys at a state mental health facility here in Michigan. Uh, I don't live in Michigan anymore, but it was in Michigan. And um, there I learned that connection was the heart of all of healing. And the thing I didn't like about that job actually was psychiatry and the diagnosing and the medicating. But mm -hmm. I did go back to school to be a psychiatrist so that I could actually alter that from the beginning. I thought that connecting was clearly the best way to actually carry on mental health treatment. And I wanted to learn how to do that and felt like psychiatry would be the route to learn how to do that. It turns out that that isn't the way it went. Um, because while I was in training, um, the medication world got introduced to our, you know, to our planet. 
So like Prozac was introduced while I was in training and Prozac altered the world just fundamentally. And so when I came out of training, there I was being asked to be a diagnoser and a medicator. And for the next 15 or 20 years, that's what I did is I did, you know, I saw thousands and thousands and thousands of patients and wrote for, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of prescriptions. And uh, it isn't what I thought was best. I never thought it was best. So eventually I got tired of doing that and began to really back off and took some of my clients off of their medication and off of their diagnosis only to watch them improve drastically and improve foundationally and improve immediately uh, with me taking away their medicine and reminding them that there might be nothing wrong with them. And all that really did was confirm that what people want more than anything, for sure, Elaine, is to be heard and seen for who they really are and to be connected to by another human being. It must have been a real wake-up call when you realized that. And did you feel mm -hmm. as if you couldn't speak to colleagues about it because you were thinking one path and they would be thinking another path? Or were they prepared to listen to you? Yeah, this is, they were not prepared to listen to me. And it really was a wake up call. And even now I have to be a little bit careful with my colleagues. They're the last ones who are going to come around on this. And the idea is that their whole life is based on this not being so. So, you know, that their whole life breath is based on the idea that they're there to diagnose and medicate and that they're doing a good service for the community. Now, let's make this again very clear. There may be some people who are listening to this who are very happy with their diagnosis, very happy with their clinicians, very happy with their medications, very happy with their treatment. And I'm not speaking to that group. I'm not saying that they should change. If you have found something in life that's actually working for you, please continue to do it in any area of life. If you have found something that's actually working for you, good for you, power to you, please continue to do it. I'm not asking you to change. This conversation is for the hundreds of millions of people who haven't found that and who are underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed or, or improperly diagnosed and are on treatments that they think are not making them better and may in fact be making them worse or aren't as good as their life could be if they knew that they know in their heart of hearts that there's a better, better way to live life. And this is where undiagnosing comes in, because if we can start believing that there's nothing wrong with us, then we can start believing there's nothing to treat. Mm -hmm. You see, the only, as long as we think there's something wrong with us, we'll think that we need uh, some medication or some treatment to alter us. The truth is, what if feeling very uncomfortable several times per day is normal? Mm -hmm. What if it's okay to be totally confused? What if it's okay to be really, really sad every so often? I mean, really sad or really afraid or really scattered or really anxious. What if it's okay? What if this too shall pass? And that even when you have that, you have an opportunity to walk away from those experiences. You have an opportunity to recontextualize your life. You have a mind that can do that, that can recontextualize your life and give you another outlook and another mindset right around the corner, almost at choice, almost when you are ready. Have you ever noticed that when you're being creative, for instance, art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening, those kinds of things, that your symptoms or your disturbances tend to disappear? 
That's what I've noticed. And I wrote a book about that called The Creative Eight, Healing Through Creativity and Self-Expression, where you can get access to exactly why that works. Or have you ever noticed that when you're connecting to another person or at service, when you're actually helping another person do anything, you uh, uh, can feel very good about your life, at least during that time. Certainly, the disturbing feelings can and usually do return, but you also have access to switching those by altering the way that you look at how the world is coming at you. And if you do that, you can actually have, you, you can be at the steering wheel, you can be the driver of your own life. And most of us forget and have relinquished our responsibility to be the driver of our own life. Again, I just think it's what you're saying is just clicking. Everything's just, it's obvious, but it's, it wasn't obvious until you say it. And then you think, why can't more of us hear this? How can we get in touch with you? Do you have, well, you've got your books, haven't you? Um, do yeah. you have a website too that people can gain information or do you have social media? Yeah, I'm on social media. Um, I, uh, I have the, the two sites I hang out with, I suppose, uh, Facebook, although I don't like it very much, I'm there and um, LinkedIn a little bit more than Facebook. And I, you can find me at my website. My website is drfred360.com. So drfred360.com. Or you can go to my main website, which is welcometohumanity.net. And you can see I've done a number of podcasts. There's a number of freebies there on the Dr. Fred site. And you can book a discovery call. And I'd like to offer a discovery call with any of your guests, a free discovery call. You get a 20 minutes to a half an hour with me, and we can discuss what direction you might need to go in your life uh, to really alter the, uh, the course so that you can get empowered again in a life that really works and really matters. And if you have a discovery call with me, if I can't help you, I certainly will connect you with a peer or, a, or a, um, an avenue that can. And so I'm, I'm pretty well hooked up in the world, uh, you know, psychological um, um, industry and know a lot about different directions that people can go. And I'd be glad to help any of your listeners find the, their path to, so that they can get a re-empowered life. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. So generous coming from yourself when I know how busy you must be as well. Um, just before we go, when you do keynote speaking events, do you find that there's at least a handful of people who want to speak to you afterwards because you really have made a light bulb come on in their head? Right, exactly. When I speak there, it, people, it seems like people, everyone has, you know, everyone has their own experience with mental health these days. A few years ago, 20 years ago, if you would ask people if they knew somebody who was mentally ill, some people would not even raise their hand. But now in a room, in a crowded room, if you ask, does anybody have any, you know, any experience with mental illness, 100% of the people will raise their hand. It's either family members, close friends, or they themselves who have been dealing with this idea of mental health and mental illness. So it becomes very pervasive. You could even call it an epidemic or a pandemic, if you like, and say that mental illness is maybe the number one condition that people are dealing with in the world. So when I remind people of what I said to you, that this is something that we've known since we were children, none of this comes from the journals, by the way. All of this comes from just living a life as a human and really just knowing that what do we want more than anything? Elaine, what do you want more than anything? You want to be loved, you want to be able to love, and you want to be heard and seen for who you really are. 
Is, is there anything bigger than that? I don't think so. <laughs> and that's not only for you, that's for each and every human being, including those crazy human beings who are on the other side of the fence, including those people that are so disturbing and, you know, you feel like they're, they're stupid or they're wrong or they're adversarial. Those people, you know what they want? They want the same thing. Mm -hmm. This is a human condition. And it doesn't mean that we can provide it in one day. I don't have the cure for world peace here. Or maybe I do. Maybe I have the beginning of it. But what we have is that each and every human has trouble taking responsibility for their life when things don't go well and wants nothing more than to be connected to other human beings and to be seen and heard for who they really are. Dr. Moss, that is, honestly, if anyone needed to hear that, they need to hear it now at this point in time where everything can seem as if it's a little bit unstable and you don't know what's going on. I'm sure everywhere in the world, people look at the news and they don't know where to start. Life can be so stressful. And just taking this chat with you, it's just made me realise that it doesn't have to be so complicated and you don't have to overanalyze as you say you're right. undiagnosing yourself as we're talking I'm realizing that it's fine to just sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed it's fine just to feel like a little bit frazzled oh yeah or maybe really a lot frazzled it's a lot, really yeah. <laughs> it's really okay to be like completely discombobulated in this world this is a completely challenging world there is no way that you are prepared to manage everything you have to deal with every single day. No way. No, anyone who says that they are is just not telling the truth. There are so many things coming at us from so many different directions that we have to negotiate and we have to manage that it's impossible to assume that we have all the tools already in place to deal with what's here. So when we start getting that, when we feel outside of our bounds, when we feel unstable, when we feel out of balance, when we feel dysfunctional, it's hard to understand and hard to agree, but it's necessary to consider that there might be nothing wrong with you, even in that state. It's, it's okay. We don't blame our log for burning in the fire. Yeah. What does a log do when it's in a fire? It burns. Yeah. What does a human do when they're in an overwhelming situation? They become overwhelmed. It's okay. It's okay. And when you're, if you're still here and everyone who's listening to this is still here, then you have really found a way to be extremely resilient and extremely creative just to make it to this next minute. So congratulations for being that person and understand that we are all struggling to make it through our next minute. There's so many things to deal with. And, you know, we're not entirely prepared for what's coming around the corner. It's quite okay. Honestly, Dr. Mossap was the most inspiring and just uplifting chat. Who would have thought that speaking about undiagnosing <laughs> could be so inspiring? It's just, it's given me a lot of food for thought. And I would like to think that anyone else listening will be motivated to realize that we are all resilient and we are all doing the best that we can. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. And thank, thank you, you again for the offer of the discovery calls. I'll get all the details and I'll put them in beside the podcast. But thank okay. you so You're much. Welcome. It's been a joy. Likewise, I've really enjoyed it, Elaine. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad we could work it out. And it was a great conversation. It's just beautiful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. 